everybody. Thank you for staying with us. Um, we are starting a few minutes late today. Porsche is um, waiting for the person who is supposed to take over her classroom. <laughs> She's doing this for us during her teaching day. She's gotten a special permission from her administration to do this. And um, the person who was supposed to be there to, to monitor her class while she's doing this has had a minor emergency that she had to go take care of. So um, Shay is possibly going to be distracted because she's kind of trying to keep an eye on her class until her replacement gets in and uh, also pay attention to what we're doing. So as you all know that watch, um, hashtag no limits is about limits that are placed on people that um, they have bust through those limits and Shay is definitely one of those people. She was on with us back in September and she told us then that she has dyslexia and um, ADHD and that um, she grew up at the time when the federal special education law was at its infancy stages. And um, she talked about some of the difficulties about that and about growing up with her learning differences. And we made it all the way through her college and um, how it wasn't until she was close to being finished with college that she realized and was diagnosed with her learning differences. So today we're going to talk about what her life has been like as an adult with those learning differences, um, specifically what it has been for her as a teacher. And then finally, we'll just wrap up with what she is able to do for her students now as a special education teacher because of things that she has learned. So Shay, thanks for joining us. And I hope that your classroom um, substitute shows up any second now so that you can <laughs> relax because I know being a teacher it's difficult to uh, leave your class alone so how are you doing today other than that oh I'm doing great good good <laughs> um so like I said we made it all the way through your college days um so tell me what it was like um wrapping up college getting There's out on your own oh, okay good <laughs> getting out on your own, what sort of challenges, if any, did you face? Well, in college, you know, it was very difficult um, not having, um, let me go shut the door, sorry, Lies. Um, <laughs> that with no, back then, because I didn't know how to advocate for myself, um, really, I mean, I did some, but now the, you know, oh, sorry, um, that, sorry. It's okay. That advocating for myself, I mean, I could, I had friends that would help me take notes uh, because I have auditory processing disorder, um, which is I hear but what goes in my ears or what goes in my brain doesn't come out so like if you so if i'm hearing something like notes or information i can't put it on paper so auditorial it doesn't seem so like if a professor or teacher or anybody that what goes in like taking notes is my was my major struggle in college was and not really knowing how to deal with it it was so frustrating um and a lot of times um it's still frustrating like to be in meetings and as a teacher because we're expected to know how to spell and we're expected to be able to take notes and we're expected to be able to write and expected to know how to read and write and as a teacher and it is very frustrating and um but i've come across i mean those barriers and i still struggle as today you know even as of today but you know in college um finding people to help me with those notes and um but a lot a lot of times i didn't have people to help me and i think that was a big struggle not being able to take notes because that's such a um, thing in college um, right. and being able to 
um, write papers. Writing papers was a struggle. You know, we had a, um, and that was a big thing before um, spell and check. Mm-hmm. Now there's spell check and there's grammar check and and with being dyslexic, um, sometimes I don't even get close enough. Even now, I mean, used to I wouldn't even get close enough, even if there was a spell check, <laughs> <laughs> to get even close to what it was, you know. Right. And um, so the spell check wouldn't pick up or because it was so new and back then they did have a dragon um like you would speak into it and it would type so text to speech or speech or yeah yeah speech speech to text yeah speech to text yeah and i finally got that maybe um into my junior year of you know and it was so my dialect and I'm so, you know, <laughs> right. And I had speech uh, all the way until I was like sixth grade. So um, that's another thing with speech to text back then. Now it's learned your voice better, but back then it didn't. And so that was very frustrating when you sp- uh, speak to, uh, spoke into it, it would be all jumbled up. Mm-hmm. And so that would be messed up so it was very frustrating in college um taking notes and writing papers taking tests you know because if you're taking a test from notes that you didn't take or the part that you did take that didn't make sense right time you got back you know because and then also with all of that you have a memory issue because the memory of auditory processing and dyslexic and and ADHD and all that's going on in my brain, those connections didn't happen and not really understanding what was going on. I mean, I knew in second grade that I had a learning disability, but not really keying on to what it actually meant. And I think that's where I'm where as a teacher is to make sure students understand and as a parent making sure as a parent advocate for to teach parents to make sure their student knows what it means to have a disability understanding how they can advocate for their self and um, really understand what it means to have autism what it means to have a learning disability what does that entail why do I learn different than others? And how can I help a teacher help me? Or how can I help my friend help me take a note? And so like in college, that's what I finally, I had friends that helped me take notes or they would take notes and I would copy them. So when I got into educational field, um, like in my junior year, um, I had a professor that did, you know, I had somebody take notes and then I'd make copies of them on the school copier. And um, and so also you have to think about learning to read other people's writing. Uh-huh. But you have to figure that one out. Who are you going to use? Because, you know, different fonts. That's another thing you have to think about. What font can you read? Like in today's society, there's so many different fonts. Mm-hmm. Back when I was in school, we didn't have Mary Mean, you know, we just had one thing or whatever. But people writing, when I took notes, was I had to figure out whose writing I could read. And so that was a different thing. But now it's a thing. And for my students, I tell them that I cannot read some fonts. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very upfront with them and I can't read a smaller font, um, the letter, I mean, as an adult. So that's where I come to for students now is to make them understand that they need to speak up for themselves. So then I went through college and then I started teaching 
um, I taught kindergarten. And that's that year I had eight children um, with special needs. And then that, that's when I kind of figured out, I really enjoyed that, that niche to help kids that struggled. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, so that's, that's when my path started on special needs and learning differences. And um, so that's kind of where I started in special ed. So did you have a degree? Was your teaching degree in special education or you had general education and then yeah. you got this job and then went back and... Mm-hmm. Got extra certifications. Okay. Yeah. So I, my undergrad is in elementary ed, early childhood. So I student taught in kindergarten, and then I taught in fourth, fifth, and sixth. Um, and I have some hours in math because I always liked math because I was good in math. And that's a lot of times with um, LD you're good in one area, not always, but sometimes like I was very extremely high in math mm-hmm. and, um, but low in reading and writing. So, um, and it's still like that today. Um, I just get math and that's the part of the brain yeah. different than the reading and writing. Right. But so can I, I'm going to stop you for a yeah. little bit, let you take a breath. That's um, good. <laughs> so some of the things that y- you have mentioned, um, I'm, I'm, I struggled a little bit in college, you know, and, and, and on the opposite math was the difficult subject for me where the English and the writing and that sort of, uh, those subjects came quite easily to me, but I remember the amount that I struggled. And when I think about that amount compared to all the things that you just mentioned that you went through in order to get through high school and grade school. And then you chose to continue your education and go through college. And then you had a whole new set of troubles to overcome. You were very inspiring to me. Thank you. Because I, I know, I don't know that if I had had to struggle that much that I would have continued on. Um, and the fact that you have found ways to get your brain to understand the world around you. Some of the things that you said were that you struggled with writing, especially. Um, and that you're not a good reader, you couldn't read. And we, I think, as teachers have a really bad habit of saying that someone can't do something when in reality they can. Mm -hmm. It's just maybe the pace that they do it is not grade level or the fluency is not grade level or the comprehension is not grade level. And so I'm trying to help people understand that to say somebody can't read or they can't write is incorrect in in most of the cases. Yes, there are those who truly cannot physically write because of various reasons. And and those that we do not hear read orally, but I'm still not 100% sure that even the ones that are nonverbal can't read. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so... That's, I just, I wanted to point that out that, um, yes, you might still struggle today, as you mentioned, but it's a struggle. It's not that you can't do it. Um, so when you started teaching, you said, you know, how it's difficult because we, we do, we sit in teacher meetings and we learn all kinds of new policies and we learn different curriculums and we, um, learn about our different students. And when you have students with IEPs, you have to read all of those IEPs when you get the new students and then you have to write the IEPs mm-hmm. as you continue with those students. So um, we, we have a, I'm not sure if it's a question or a comment. I think it's just a comment. Um, but so I want you to talk about that first. Like how do you accommodate for your learning differences? And I love that, by the way, I love that there that you refer to them as learning differences because that's exactly what it is. In my opinion, you're still learning, and anyone who 
has the diagnoses that you have or has other diagnoses of uh, dysgraphia or dyslexia or dyscalculia, which is the from the comment here, um, you're still learning. You just you just learn differently. Um, so what were some of the things that you had to do as a beginning teacher to get all of that information that you have to have as a teacher? Well, that's kind of wild that you even said that because when I went to when I started teaching, my first year of teaching was kindergarten. And what do you do in kindergarten? You teach kids how to read. Mm -hmm. Well, coming out of high, out of college, I really didn't know how to read, like truly learn how to read phonics. And that was a big push at that time. Like, like I never even knew what phonemic awareness was. That's or just how to, or how to make those connections of sounds to letters, because I di it didn't make sense. Or how letters those. I mean, I saw like a B, and there's a line and a ball. I understand that, and I see that, because I'm not the one. But I can make a move with my eyes. But I do see it, mm -hmm. and I can flip it. But I'm not like that. And, but mine was more of a phonics and not see, like hearing it. And, um, but teaching kindergarten, <laughs> I kind of learned how to teach reading when I learned how to teach reading. I learned how to read when I taught reading. Mm -hmm. And so, back then you did the like the letter of the week and so teaching that style i learned how to read along with my kids and no one really knew that going into teaching um i just and you know i took teaching reading in college my last two or three my last year right and i had to take like three classes but it really didn't teach you how to teach reading like, you know, like you really need it. So you're, you're in kindergarten and back then you taught letter sounds and connections and that kind of thing. And how those letters made connections of sounds. Are you still there? I think we lost you. Can everybody see me? See her. Okay, I'm gonna keep talking. I don't know if you can see me or her. I'll keep talking. She must have lost, but I'll keep talking. So teaching reading was I lost that, I learned to connect with, with that facet of reading. So teaching kids that didn't know their letters, how to connect that. So teaching reading and writing in a kindergarten classroom is where I learned the basics of how reading was so important. Then I took writing, which I, you know, was not a good writer. And then in kindergarten, I took that piece and went ahead and went beyond that so then i went into college hi apparently i left sorry about that yeah i was just like kept on going i stopped for a few minutes i don't know if people saw you or me or nobody i don't know <laughs> i don't know. okay well thank god you're still here Thank you yeah, for continuing without me. <laughs> I don't know I what happened. Kindergarten and reading. I yeah, guess that's good. 
<laughs> I'd be a little weird, but oh well. Nothing unusual. Nothing unusual for me, but <laughs> so so now we're talking about kindergarten and reading. So that's where I learned how to teach reading. And then now I'm gonna figure out where I was. Sorry. Oh, where I learned how to read is in in kindergarten. Not me in kindergarten, but me teaching kindergarten. Right. So that's where the facet of teaching kindergarten. And then, so what was your question now? Let's recap what your question was. So I had asked you the kinds of things that you had to do as a beginning teacher. Oh, that's right. Um, because as a special education teacher, you get all these IEPs that you have to read. But as a, as a first-year teacher, you were in a kindergarten classroom. You still had to figure out the curriculum. Um, you still had to figure out, you know, lesson plans and how to come up with those. Um, and I, I want to just take a moment because I don't think people realize what teachers are taught when we're going through college to learn to be teachers. <laughs> nope. We often don't get a lot of strategies. Um, right. we're, we're taught a lot of philosophies, a lot of um, the underlying, you know, why we do what we do. But as far as, and uh, my college was a long time ago, so I, I, I hope that this is different now. I, um, but as far as how to manage classrooms, how to teach certain styles of things, a lot of that is figuring it out on the job because every student is different. Every classroom is different. So um, there are a lot of things that we learn, but a lot of things that we still need to learn and be willing to learn once we're in the classroom. Right. So, um, so finish that. And then I was wanting to get to the comment that we had. Okay. So being the first year teacher, classroom, learning, I mean, understanding, but, the facet of teaching reading and learning. I mean, I did know how to read, not saying, but understanding reading. And that's two different things there. Mm -hmm. Like to be able to read, I can read, but, but to understand comprehending what I would read. And that's the different things. Kids can read, but comprehension is the different piece there. And my comprehension was such at a lower stage uh, even in, as an adult, you know, when I first started teaching, I could understand kindergarten, um, but understanding those sounds and stuff, that was such a big piece there that was so exciting that it finally made sense that I was able to teach reading, you know, I loved it and it was like, it's so exciting. So that's where I started realizing I wanted to teach special ed. So that kind of started me on my role of being a special ed teacher. So I taught for three, for, I guess, two, three years, I guess. And then that's where I decided to get my master's. And um, I got my master's um, in special ed. Um, <laughs> and again, that you would put yourself through all of that. Um, all of the the hurdles and all of the accommodations that you had to make for yourself because nobody was making them for you at the college level. You have to do that all on your own. Um, you might get some guidance, especially now colleges are better about that sort of thing. But um, can you recall how much time you put in to your studies? Oh, it was always, it was, you know, I had a social life, but, you know, sometimes it was, you know, I guess <laughs> as I look back, sometimes I would fail so much. And after you fail so much, you're like, mm, why even study? Right. And I bad, but, you know, I got to a point that why keeps, you know, if, if I'm going to fail, why well, put the effort in it? Because I'm right. still going to. So, like, what for educational classes, I did so much better. Well, 
for my master's, not for my undergrad. My undergrad, I, I still struggled even in the education classes. It was really hard. Um, but in my master's, um, because I loved that field, um, because because I had, you know, I did um, assessments, which I really loved, uh, understanding evaluations and assessments, how it all fits. And I did early childhood and because I have a master's birth to 21, so I can work with any age. Mm-hmm. And so I got that and then I got special ed law and then I got um, behavior, which was another fast thing I loved. What make, what happens, what causes things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these areas that I got my master's in was things that I loved. Right. So that, I think that kind of studying didn't, wasn't as hard, I guess it was, well, it was hard, but I guess I figured it out more by then of how to, but, um, and it was, it was still a labor, but at that point it was a labor of love. And so right. You were putting in as much effort and time and energy. And I worked full time too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I worked as a teacher in a um, kindergarten self-contained classroom when I did that. Wow. When I got, but, you know, I look back and I'm thinking, well, I did it, you know? Yeah. So, you, did, you, you, you truly are inspiring, Shay, because like I said, just all the things, all the, all the different detours that you have to take versus me going straight from A to B. And that's, that's how I've always explained it to my students is you're still learning. My path and and the majority of the population's path is you're going to head down a straight highway and you're going to start at point A and you're going to get to point B and it's going to be pretty smooth sailing. But there are people like yourself who learn differently, who you might start down that straight road, but for whatever reason, you have to detour and you might have to wind through, you know, five different other streets and three different turns and maybe even feel like you're going backwards at some times. I went that way a lot, yeah. And then, you know, but you are still going to get to point B. So it's just a different route that you have to take. Um so we do have a couple, it's, they're from the same person. So, um, so first she says, you're talking um, about, it's kind of like, I'm a warrior. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever thinks about a warrior, they, they on that journey, that adventure as a warrior. And yep. that's how I see myself as a warrior. And I've always kind of, and that's what I told my friend yesterday. I, that's how my journey is. It's that I'm a, a warrior and that's, you just keep going. Right. Right. Exactly. So a little background and, um, and then I'm going to get to her actual question here. She says her son is a teenager with dyscalculia, dyslexia, dysgraphia, and struggles in school. The accommodations are not followed by the staff, which is very heartbreaking. Um, Very normal. Yep. And as master IEP coaches, uh, both Shay and I are master IEP coaches and we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we, work toward is trying to get everyone on the same page to why those accommodations are important and why they need to be carried out. Um, And so her question is, what word of advice do you have for high school students on IEPs with specific learning disabilities to better advocate for themselves proactively at an early stage instead of waiting until after high school graduation? Tamara, great question. That's an awesome question. Tamara, um, I think it starts even when they're young and um, teaching kids, um, I don't know if you've heard this word, um, teaching executive um, skills. Um, Let me show you this book. I got stuff in it, but let me take it out. This is probably one of my favorite books and they have it. This is um, Smart by Scattered Teens. And it's boosting the abilities, teens' abilities. Um, but it's executive functioning. I got it off of Amazon. It's pretty cheap. 
but it kind of keeps kids how to advocate for their self. But they also have one for younger kids. I just have it because I teach high school. And, and it kind of teaches how to stand up for yourself. And especially, um, you know, because like accommodations, they're there. And teachers, you know, they're there. But it's hard. As a teacher, it is hard to make sure that all their kids are given their accommodations. Is it right? No, I didn't say that. Right, exactly. I didn't say that at all. But it still falls back on that child. Well, it falls on that teacher, but it also falls on that child because we've got to make sure those kids are speaking up for themselves. You know, it teaches, you know, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work for me, I'm the only one that can tell you it's not working. Right. You know, and I guess it just, I, I guess that's where my heart is so much is teaching that. Um, and as a parent or an adult, I can see a child's face that it's not working. But when you have 30 kids in your classroom, I mean, I have a small classroom and I, I miss it. And it's so sad for teachers to miss that. But as a parent, um, Tamara, just teaching him how to problem solve, try to, I think that's a big thing is problem solving, how to make it work. And, you know, you can have all accommodations, but when he gets through the real world, are those accommodations going to really be there for him? You know, and I, I'm just telling you from my heart and I mean, like extra time and all that, that's great because they, they need to be in place for high school for testing and homework and all of that. But in reality, when they get out in the real world, there's not accommodations for you, right. especially when we are, we look normal and no one sees our hidden disability. And that's what we're considered when you have dyslexia or dys or dysgraphia or, or you, you have a hidden disability because, you know, nobody thinks anything different. We look like everyone else. Right. And our brains just don't function the same as everybody else. And people don't make accommodations for us. Right. And um, so Shay, I just want to tell you that in case you hadn't seen this, she had popped this up earlier that indeed you are inspiring. You are amazing. So I wanted oh, to you. pass that along to you. Um, oh, and then she also says, and I don't know if this was the author of the book maybe that you shared, or I'm not yes. sure who Peg Dawson is. Yes. Uh, so she says, Peg Dawson is amazing. She lives in the neighboring state. Um, I'm, I'm going to give a suggestion and Shay, uh, you tell me if you think this would would work or be a good thing because I've only ever taught elementary. Um, so at the high school level, I'm not sure that this would work. But at the elementary level, um, what we tried to do to have our students start advocating for themselves was we talked with them as their special education teacher and told them, these are the accommodations that you're supposed to be getting. Um, and we want to make sure that you're getting them. And just what you talked about, you know, the teachers can't remember all of their students you know, especially if they have more than one student with an and IEP in their room. Like 125. Right. So what we would do was put the, put their accommodations on just like a little um, note card and then attach that either with glue or, or tape or whatever to the main notebook or, or folder or whatever it was that they took from class to class. So that way, if they were supposed to receive an accommodation, because not all accommodations are given in all classes. Correct. Um, if, they're, if they're needed, that's where they're given. If they're not needed, then they're not given. Um, and so then they would, you know, and then we would teach them, okay, if you're not getting, you know, if you get your test and it's got, say, four multiple choice options for all the multiple choice questions, and, you know, that's typical number, and you're supposed to have one less, 
then, you know, gently walk up to your teacher and raise your hand or whatever the protocol is in the room and say, I'm supposed to have this. Here's my accommodation. That's an amazing way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I, can you please cross one out of each of these, you know, or whatever and, and not come at the student. I mean, not come at the teacher, like, Hey, you didn't do this and I'm supposed yeah. to get this. That's not cool. And that's, that's not, not going to work for sure because they don't want to be called out. You right. Know? Right. And that's very so, discreet in high school. They want to be discreet. Right. They don't want to be different. So good. I'm, I'm glad to know that that would work at high school level. I think as well. that would be an amazing way to do that, you know, because because you could have your notebook because you have a binder mm -hmm. most of the time. And that would be a perfect way. Um, I like that. Yeah. And, I, and, I teach I, at, but I teach at a special ed school. Mm -hmm. So all of them are accommodated. So I don't really I don't think because I, I have never taught at a public high school. I teach at a private um, special ed high school so junior high high school so right. they're already accommodated for so I just don't think that way I guess <laughs> yeah well and I mean even sometimes because somebody might have a very specific accommodation that you know because like you talked about the extra time that seemed to be if anybody was going to have an accommodation that was almost always given um and but say they had um I don't know uh, something obscure like a, a slant board or, yeah. a, you know, a, a handwriting tool or something. Um, you might not remember that because, you know, you're, you're giving extra time to everybody in the class, but you forgot, oh yeah, this one person needs the slant board. Um, so even I think in your situation, it would be helpful and useful. And, and one of the other reasons that we taught our students to understand what their accommodations were is because like you mentioned before, only they know if it's working. So there's no point in writing accommodations in if they're not working for the students. Correct. So if the student knows they're supposed to get extra time or they're supposed to be in a, a setting with less distractions, small, yeah, small, group small groups, you know, um, but they're not, they're fine within the larger group, then take that accommodation out. Don't right. force something on them because if it's in there, it's supposed to be happening. Correct. So by law, I mean, right. And that, and that's, and that's another thing. Uh, don't just have an accommodation if it's not working. Mm -hmm. You know, that's adding isolation to that child, especially when they get to junior high, high school. If it hadn't worked, haven't used it in elementary, and you just kind of throw it on them, they're going to be like, what? I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah. And that's just, a, and um, another, a, a great example of this one is um, preferential seating. And mm -hmm. um, that happens a lot in elementary. And used to, that meant like the front of the room. And that does not whatsoever mean the front of the room. That means okay. wherever that best fits that child. Right. If that means at the back of the room, with no distractions, that's what it means. So, you know, somehow or another, wherever that ever happened, that does not, I mean, if you have an ADHD distracted child right by the door, that is not where that child needs to be. Right. You know, no, they're not going to pay attention right there. Right. So as a teacher, you got to figure out where is preferential seating, you know? Um, right. I've been so, having it written into some of the IEPs that I've helped with this year um, because it's, it can be different for each class too, each mm -hmm. different subject, you know, right. so, to say, you know, just to say preferential seating, like you said, most teachers assume that means in the front, maybe in the middle, you know, of the, of the classroom. Um, but if there's a, a whiteboard on one wall and a electronic or smart board on the other wall, um, how, where do you teach most often? You know, right. so you have to think about that. Um, if it's a classroom where there's going to be a lot of moving around, where's the, like you said, where's the best place? So if you can get those things um, explained out in the IEP, that way, you know, and again, that's, it's a, it's a nice reminder. If you have something like that written in your notebook or your folder, say that again. I said the more detail in accommodation, yeah is better. Right. 
Yeah. So Tamara, you're welcome for the idea. Um, a checklist would be a good idea, I mm -hmm. think as well. And so, um, and then she says, all the accommodations in the IEP are great, but they are not used. I will print them on a card and place them in my son's desk because he does remote learning. Absolutely. You're absolutely welcome, Tamara. I'm glad that, that I can help you. Um, and yeah, if you have, if you have questions, um, you know, talk to your staff, talk to your IEP team um, and say, you know, how can I do this? What can, what can we do uh, to help him get the appropriate education he's supposed to be receiving, even during remote learning? Right. Because um, he's still supposed to get those no matter what. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen some modifications of the modifications and accommodations during remote learning because some yeah. things aren't as easily done or, or maybe not even necessary. I mean, in remote learning, do you need preferential seating? You're, you're probably already going to be there. So you don't necessarily need to have that written down. But, you know, again, um, just knowing that sort of stuff ahead of time. So, so Shay, what kind of things, we have about 20 minutes, less than 20 minutes before we have to wrap up. So what kind of things do you find that you do with your students now that you, A, wish you would have had when you were in high school, and B, that you have seen really helped your students? Okay, so what I wish, let me think. Um, I think what I wish that I would have had somebody um, really explain what my disability was. Um, like, what does it mean to be, I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that I was dyslexic until I was, you know, in college. And I didn't understand that I had that, you know, until I got my master's. Um, and my ADHD, I didn't know that part either. I mean, I knew I had a learning disability, but that the details of, you know, but nowadays, you know, with autism, I have specialized in a lot of autism training and a lot of children over my last 25 years, you know, understanding, having teachers, I guess that really goes back to the teachers being trained and understanding how to teach the kids how to understand themselves and also parents understanding what it is, you know, what, what is the true learning piece? You know, I guess the wish would be for kids to understand who they really are. Mm -hmm. And because you've got to be an advocate for yourself, you've got to understand who you are. Right. What makes, who, what makes you, you know, and, and in today's society, things happen. I mean, life is just hard. And, you know, I think of my students and, and yeah, I teach in a private school. I understand that. But even in a private school, there is dysfunctional and there is things that happen. So, you know, I hear it while well, you teach in a private school. Well, it happens in private school, public school, homeschool, whatever. Things happen. So there's still a child mm -hmm. that needs to learn how to advocate for themselves, how to love themselves. So I think that's my biggest wish is for them to learn how to love themselves and how to advocate for themselves. I think that's my biggest wish that I would have learned. I mean, yeah, I learned how to take care of myself but it would have been great to have a teacher. I mean, I had some great teachers, not what I'm saying, but to really help me understand that piece, I guess. Understand yeah. that I couldn't really read, I guess. Understand I really couldn't write, you know, really get deep into it, you know. And that it wasn't anything, and I'm sorry if I cut you off, that, that you were doing intentionally. Right. And I... I think that's one of my biggest frustrations with my colleagues. And one of the things that aggravates me the most is that gen ed and special ed, 
we, we, and I'm sure I've unfortunately fallen into this myself, but we think the kids, oh, well, they can write. They just don't want to. Oh, right. they can read. They just don't want to. Oh, they did it the other day. They should be able to do it now. Or they do it at home and they don't do it at school or they do it at school and they don't do it at home. Right. And, and especially, you know, if, if you're at, at the high school, middle school, or even the college level and, and you have fought and struggled and you have put 150% effort in, which is definitely what it sounds like your percentage of effort was going through school and you're still failing, that starts to weigh a, a, a heavy toll on your self-esteem and you start to, I'm sure, question what you are. You know, it's like, why can't I do this? Oh, what yeah. is wrong with me? Early in my life, yeah. And, and for somebody to come alongside of you and say, you are perfect the way you are. Your learning different, your learning style is just different. And right. we'll figure it out. And and then, you know, if it does end up that you get a, a diagnosis of something, you know, whether that's ADHD, dyslexia, autism, um, auditory processing disorder. Um, I mean, there's there's so many medical diagnoses, but then there's also those eligibilities under IDEA that that's just who you are. That doesn't make you, you had the other facet of anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. and I have that too. So you have all that other side of a mental illness. Right. So you have that facet also. Yeah. So, I, you know. I, I think that that's crucial. Um, yeah, that's I, a big piece. I found with a lot of my students, I usually would get them somewhere around second grade or third grade. And already by that level, I spent a lot of time building them back up that mm -hmm. they were good students. They were good people. They were intelligent. It was just coming out in a different way. Right. Um, and I, I, I had many times where parents were hesitant to have their child become eligible when the team said, your child can be eligible and they hear the reasons why. And they kind of hesitated. And I said, I want you to understand that when I work with your child, I'm not just working on their academics. Right. I'm working on the child as a whole person because that child to me is a child first. Right. And that, I mean, it, there's, there's all kinds of science behind when you have positive emotions and positive feelings and you're feeling good about yourself and you're calm and, and lots of other things that your brain works better. It mm -hmm. learns better. Correct. So, you know, I, I couldn't, and you can't take away the feelings of negativity all the time, but oh no, to make you feel like you were welcome in my classroom, that was one of my number one priorities because oftentimes those kiddos were not welcomed in their gen ed rooms because the teachers had to do extra stuff for them. Correct. And that was, that's, that's what frustrates me. Yeah, is. it was hard. That was, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a hard piece, you know, being different in a regular classroom. And I think that's knowing that I was different, you know, even in high school, no, knowing that I was, that I learned different, that was hard. Um, you know, knowing that I learned slower than others, even in high school. I mean, even though I didn't really ever tell people, and that's another piece that I didn't, I wasn't up front. And I, you know, I'm, I went through all through my teaching career that people didn't know about my disability. I've just recently come out that I do have a disability. Um, and that's, you know, I just didn't let people know. Yeah. And I, I can only, I mean, I've had anxiety since I was sophomore in high school or so. And I didn't really talk about it then. In fact, it was so bad that I was out of school for several months in high school and nobody knew why I didn't, wasn't something I shared. And we have to get better about that in our society. Right. Um, I want to share this with you. Okay. Um, Jay, you are an inspiration. Nothing is accomplished without sweat and tears, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. 
Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story, Shay. And thank you, Shelly, for inviting Shay to share her journey. Ooh, there's a lot of shh in there. I'm glad I got those all out without, <laughs> without making any mistakes. Um, Tamara, it's been my pleasure to get to know Shay. She and I met um, this past summer at the Master IEP Coach Conference, and she is so fun and she is such an inspiration. And I'm so happy that she was able to join us um, again today. Like I said at the beginning, she had been on in September and we there's so much to her story that we just didn't get through all of it. Um, so Shay, I just want you to, if there's anything else that you want to say to wrap up our time together today. I would just say, you know, don't put yourself in limits and parents just don't put limits. Never say you can't, always say not yet. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Well, I do thank you and thank you, Tamara, for joining us and for your comments and questions today. Um, next week, there will not be a hashtag No Limits Live. I will put a link into one of the earliest episodes that I've done, but I am an election judge, so I will be working the election next Tuesday. Um, I don't think they would be real happy if I just took a time out in the middle and said, sorry, we're going to do hashtag no limits today right now. Um, but we will be, I will be back on November the 10th with early Head Start director, Shalise Erlini. Um, she is the, I should say that like she's the big person. She's the person in my area. <laughs> so, um, but she will be talking about early Head Start and what it does. And this week, Friday, one o'clock normal time um, will be Friday with Fran. Not really sure what we're going to talk about with Fran. Um, <laughs> never really sure lately until we pop on. We usually figure something out. Um, but if there is suggestions or anything that you would like to hear about from Fran and I, um, we, it, we enjoy talking about special education things. Last week, we talked about transition. We may continue that conversation this week because there was a lot we didn't really get discussed. Um, but I make no promises. So again, thank you for being with us. I am Shelly Kino. Oh, um, Shay, I forgot yeah. this time. Um, I'm, I'm getting really bad about this. Um, if people wanted to, follow, if Tamara wanted to follow you, um, how would she go about doing that? How can she find you? Oh, she can look for me on Instagram or, or she can look on Facebook. Okay. Shay Spears four, like the number four you at gmail.com okay. is my email. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Um, this is uh, Shay and Shelly, and we've had a great time today in our discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate you being here. We're making the world better for all, one IEP at a time.